Welcome in to another new episode of the Codings Pro interview series. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, and I'm a staff writer with Codings Pro Magazine. Now that it's November 2021, Codings Pro is officially celebrating its 20-year anniversary. In this special episode, we're continuing our mini-series here on the podcast, which is spotlighting key players in the history of both the magazine and the broader Codings industry over those last two decades. The general idea is to highlight success stories and share some lessons learned from the past 20 years, as well as look forward to what may happen over the next 20. To do that today, I'm joined by Ron Puzinski, president and co-founder of ConCare. Ron, good morning, how are you? Good morning, Ben, thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely, and Ron, I think a good place to start, if you could just give our listeners on the podcast a little bit of your personal biography, if you will. Just tell them about your career in the industry, any certifications that you have, your accomplishments with ConCare. Just give people uh, a little bit of background information on you, if you could. Sure. So in the early 1970s, I worked for a company in the specialty chemicals industry. And one of the areas of concentration that they had was concrete coatings. These were pretty simple roll-on, spray-on type coatings that were used mainly for dustproofing applications. And in my process of selling those products, uh, part of the requirement from time to time was a customer needed someone to actually install them. Well, ideally, I would have referred that and did to uh, existing contractors in either the painting industry or similar fields, but they just didn't have the feel for it. And so the quality of the outcome was not not exactly close to what I promised the customer at the very beginning. So with that um, kind of a interest in delivering what was promised, we started ConCare, which was founded by my wife and myself in 1978. And uh, have built the business over that time with sort of a learning curve, I'll say, where we we always wanted to be able to deliver uh, the different kinds of applications a customer would need rather than having a cookie cutter fit to what they, uh, that is the contractor or the company could offer. So we saw a lot of companies back in the 70s that had installation arms and if if their product didn't fit the customer's need, they still had to recommend it because that's all they had to offer. So we wanted to have that wider perspective to say, what exactly do you need and how can we make it work for you in the finished product? And that's kind of how the company got started. So how has the company evolved over the years? What are some of the ways that you've transitioned from those early days the origins to what you're doing now as we approach 2022? Well, in the early days, a lot of the work was being done using chemicals for the preparation process. So think in terms of paint strippers, solvents, acids, and things of that kind. And of course, one of the trends that began in the 70s with the uh, inception of the EPA was that those things became less and less desirable to be used either for the uh, cleaning process or the application of the materials as well, right? So a lot of products Mm -hmm. had solvents in them and things like that. So one of the things that we saw was that there was this this movement toward uh, non-chemical preparation, dry preparation, things like uh, abrasive shot blasting, scarifying, and diamond grinding. Those things started to, 
to be developed to to answer the call to get rid of all those chemicals that were being used. And similarly, in terms of the materials, at one time, many products had a high solvent content, which was required based on the chemistry that was available at that time. And then slowly, water-based or water-soluble uh, products came into play. And of course, 100% solids technologies as well to eliminate that part of the uh, projects that we were doing as well. So one of the unique things about your career at Concare, which as you said, dates back to the 1970s, you've spanned a number of decades in this industry. And now that we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the magazine, obviously we can do a little bit of a before and after. From your perspective in the industry, what are some of the ways that Coatings Pro, since it debuted in November 2021 as a magazine specifically geared to the contractor, what are some of the ways that Coatings Pro has either, I don't know, changed the industry or how has it perhaps helped you as a contractor having that type of resource? Well, I'll be honest with you, when Coatings Pro first appeared, it was like a surprise because there really wasn't any publication that was focused on the industry of, and, and the, the applications and the requirements of mm. applying coatings to uh, surfaces in general. And, you know, Coatings Pro has had uh, focuses on all kinds of projects, you know, roofing projects, steel deck coating projects, concrete coating, concrete refinishing projects, all kinds of different things. And not all of them had necessarily pertained directly to our company and the things that we were doing. But what it did do is it kind of it kind of triggered the thought process of how can we do something better? How can we take advantage of these ideas or these things that were um, being presented in Coatings Pro to benefit our company? So that's really that's really where, where we get the most benefit out of it. You know, sitting sitting uh, grabbing a, a sandwich at lunchtime, flipping through Coatings Pro. And just seeing different things that were being done there that maybe we never even thought of and just got a better idea for how we could make our company better. And that's really been a big uh, advantage to having been part of the uh, subscriber base since day one. What was the process like when you got your first story covered? I went back and looked in the archives and I think there was one from September 20. Uh, 2004, it involved like a polyurethane cementitious floor at a food and beverage site. What was the point in which you said, hey, I want to get some exposure for what my company is doing and sort of tell our story? Do you remember what that was like? Well, I think at the time, the, uh, the publication was just not very old, of course, at the time. Right. And uh, I believe it was Lou Frank uh, yep. was the publisher at that time. Correct. And uh, he uh, had reached out and contacted everyone that was a subscriber from time to time. And he said, hey, do you have any projects that might be interesting? And uh, we hadn't thought much about, you know, uh, kind of putting our hand up prior to that. And when he said that, we said, well, you know, we've got one here that's kind of interesting that might be of some value. And so we submitted a project that was in a, a meat processing plant that uh, – actually we still do work in today mm. and uh that particular story involved a um uh, a flooring material that had been put down by another nationally known but will remain unnamed company mm -hmm. and um they couldn't quite get it right and the material that they were uh, applying was not uh adhering uh internally 
within itself to the conditions that this customer had. So we basically, in that article in 2004, we basically demonstrated it and kind of walked through the process of removing all of that, that old material, which was give or take, I don't know, a quarter to three eighths thick, and then applying a whole new surface over the top of it and then obviously doing it within a time frame that the customer could tolerate. What are some of the ways that the materials have changed over the past 20 years? We're talking about that project from the September 2004 archives, and I believe it was a polyurethane cementitious floor. Correct. What are some of the things you can do in 2021 that you couldn't do then? Or I don't know, are there technologies from those days in the early 2000s that are still workable today? Just talk if you could about some of the evolution and the materials and the technology. Well, I touched on that a little bit before, you know, in, in the early 70s, the mid 70s, mm-hmm. the 80s, a lot of a lot of solvents, a lot of pretty harsh chemicals. So mm-hmm. those kinds of things um, were pulled out slowly from these different uh, products, these different uh, technologies. But I would say that um, in terms of new technologies, we see things now that, you know, because again of uh, the shortened downtimes, uh, customers' limited availability to uh, make space available because they've got production things that are happening. We've seen things that uh, can be applied in, for example, a single layer that uh, doesn't have the multiple layers to be applied and have to cure before the next one can be applied and so forth. So, uh, you, you know, there are things that we can do today that can really add to the um, ability to fit these projects in uh, within the customer's requirements. So, you know, and 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 yet at the same time, um, the the desire to maintain the usefulness, the value of the installation for as long a period of time is still there, right? So nobody really wants to shut down a production line and do a project and then find out that, well, that didn't really work out too well. So now we got to shut it down two years later and do it again. That's a, it's a big inconvenience. It's, it's kind of expensive to do it, uh, to find the time to do it. And then of course it prevents you as the customer from uh, going on to do other areas, which, you know, you can invest your money in, in something new. So we've seen this requirement where customers are looking for what they can do to have the longest useful life and so we kind of turn that around and say how can we deliver value that has the lowest life cycle cost and in other Mm -hmm. words you might spend a dollar today and if it only lasts a year well that's a dollar a year right for that project so you could spend two dollars and it lasts four years well now you're at 50 cents a year Mm -hmm. in value so i think that's one of the things that we try to present and and talk about with customers when we're doing these things. And there's been a trend um, with many of the customers that we work with in the pharma and food and beverage industries where that's really a a clear value because we've done areas where a room the size of, I don't know, just a a small house, you know, really a, a fairly small area might be producing you know, a million dollars worth of product every couple of days. So certainly you don't want to shut that down any longer than you have to, right? Mm-hmm. So that's those are the kind of things that, that we've seen. Um, the other thing that I've seen that has changed also is, you know, in the, in the 70s and 80s, if you had a floor done period, it was a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you had your 
plant floor done and you were trying to fix something and somebody came in and and uh, and took care of it, that was a pretty big deal. You know, it was a less common thing to do then. Uh, and a lot of things were accepted as as good as it can get, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Today, however, now that this these uh, applications, these polymer flooring applications and coatings and things that we do um, have become ubiquitous in many industries, now there's a drive for an expectation for perfection. Okay. Now it's hmm. not good enough to just fix the problem. Now you not only have to fix the problem, not only does it have to last as long as possible, not only does it have to deal with all the conditions that we have in our facility, whether it be high temperature chemical spills or whatever, but now it has to look fabulous when it's done. No imperfections, no little, uh, you know, unevenness, no things like trowel marks, roller marks, none of that. That's kind of been the, the change in expectations and trends that we've seen over the last 20 plus years, for sure. Does that make the relationships that you were mentioning earlier, like the F&B story we were citing from 2004, I believe it was, you mentioned that you've sort of formed a relationship and you've worked with that client a, a few times. With the expectations getting higher and higher as we progress through the years and the decades, mm -hmm. does that make it a bigger deal for you all as a contractor to really form strong relationships with clients so that those clients, basically they trust you that when they have a need that you're going to be able to meet this high bar that they have now? Because it sounds like to me as an outsider that that really puts a premium on the client thinking and believing that you as the contractor are going to be able to give them what they need, right? Well, trust in what you're doing with relation to the customer's expectations is mm. huge. It's huge because, um, well, just in the last week, I was called in to a facility where we had a, a good long-term relationship and as happens in many of these plants, the uh, the people that we were dealing with changed. They retired, they moved to a new job, something mm -hmm. like that. So now the, the the folks that were there now, the new crew, I'll say it, the new management team, okay. they they go and they, they uh, look back at their records and they say, well, we've been using this company, Concare. Uh, let's get some other people in here. And when the expectations have been set, ahead of time prior years and a new contractor is selected those expectations are often not met okay so the new people coming in the new management team comes in and says well we thought every we thought every contractor did the same kind of work and we were just uh, using these other guys because they were like 10 percent cheaper so you know what we found is that after they've had that experience and they've said well you know we might have saved 10 percent, but you know what it's like not right mm -hmm. we either have to fix it or redo it or something like that then that 10 percent evaporates pretty fast okay so that trust in what your contractor is bringing to the table for you and your facility is huge because yes they want to know they want to be able to trust that you're going to 
start when you say you're going to start, that you're going to finish on time, that it's going to be ready for them to go back into service when you tell them it's going to, that it's going to be, as I said, quote unquote, perfect, right? That it's going right. to do the things they expect and then it's going to last as long as possible. So they expect all those things. And if they trust that you can deliver them, that I found that that's the best, that's the secret sauce, if you will, to our industry. And uh, for us, you know, that's been a, a key, a key thing that we've cultivated because most of our business is direct to owner. It's the renovation, the rehab, the, the even the new additions and things like that. But it's having that relationship with the owner because the owner knows what they want and they know what we can deliver and that's what they want. I know there's no crystal ball, but as far as looking ahead to the next 20 years, what are some of the trends or technologies? What are the things that you're watching for moving forward? Is it just going to be a continuation of these trends that we've been talking about the last few minutes? Is there anything new coming on the horizon? Just what's your general outlook as far as, uh, I guess, both from the technology end, from your perspective, the materials you're dealing with, as well as uh, expectations from clients and what you're going to have to do on these job sites? Well, I think that, first of all, um, the thing that I see is that we're, we're going to have to uh, be aware of and be cognizant of adding labor saving methods, uh, equipment, materials, et cetera, to our repertoire. Because um, the way that the um, labor market is today, I don't think is can be expected to to mm -hmm. to be any different in, in the next 10 years. I think it's going to be a challenge to find the talent that's needed, then to train them, get them up to speed, and then to get them uh, to be productive. So in our case, you know, many, many of our uh, installers have 15 plus years of, of experience. Well, you can't, you can't buy that off the street. You know, you can't just hire someone. They have that. So to develop those things is really important. And I think being able to not only save labor and make it, um, you know, make it uh, more efficient to do jobs, but also to preserve the labor force that you have right now is going to be a huge, uh, a, a huge trend over the next 20 years. In terms of materials, uh, we have seen uh, some things that have been developed, as I said a little bit earlier, where it's a, it, the application can be a one-step process, right? So mm -hmm. uh, thereby you save not only the, the, the labor, direct labor of application, but you also save the, the associated costs of that labor, things like, uh, you know, uh, expediting jobs, uh, or excuse me, expediting material and equipment to the job, uh, sometimes there's travel costs involved and things of that nature. So the, the fewer days you can spend on a site, not only can you get the turnaround uh, completed sooner for the customer, but also you can make your schedule available to do the next project for your internal customer base as well. You mentioned the labor challenges, and I think that's definitely going to be a theme. Uh, I know it's uh, not an easy fix, as you said, and probably not anything that's really going to change over the next decade. But just in terms of even uh, a bigger picture than that, what are some of the things that people in the industry and maybe it's, you know, maybe this is a broader discussion when we talk about associations such as AMP that can sort of lead uh, because obviously no one company is able to sort of transform something that big unilaterally. What are some of the keys that 
we can do as an industry, if there are any, to potentially put ourselves 10, 20 years down the road in a better position right now, uh, in a better position to lure talent than where we are right now? Well, I think that um, I think that our industry is a craft. Mm-hmm. Okay, and unlike a um, an assembly line, which is very rote, very repetitive, right? Very much the same. There's sure. there's a there's a lot of craft to what we do. Um, you know, when you run into a, a project and there's some wrinkle there that you didn't expect, um, how you handle it and deal with it and overcome it is really, really important. So you need some creativity when you're doing that. Um, but I think in, at the end of the day, we have to be uh, able to attract people to that part of the business, that it's that it's not just you're not you know, it's just not a labor and, and you know, um, lifting and moving and things like that uh, as part of your job you're you're really creating something that is um you know special i mean i think of it that way i mean i i get no greater pride than looking at a facility that you know like we're one working on one today and it started out about three months ago it was a chopped up space walls in the way uh, uneven slope to some existing drains and this was a mess, you know, and and over the course of the next uh, inst- the next time we were in there, we leveled the floor out, and then today we're finishing application of a methamethacrylate finish, and the thing is just it's amazing. I mean, it's just if you can't get a sense of pride out of that, then uh, you might be in the wrong business. But that's really, I think, the way the way to capture the imagination of people that may not, you know, may not be college material, uh, but but may have an interest in really having a craft that they can count on for their uh, for their future. And I think the inverse of that question, how can someone that's new to the industry make themselves stand out? I'm sure you guys have new installers coming in at Concare Mm -hmm. all the time and you're trying to train them to get them up to speed. If someone's listening to this that's new to the industry and wanting to break in in this environment, what are some of the things that they can do to stand out and perhaps uh, make this situation better? Well, the first thing I would say is decide what you want to be and don't waver from it. Mm. Okay. Decide what you want to be. Do you want to be a, because there's all kinds of ways to do it. Do you want to be specializing in a certain kind of application? Do you only want to do X, right? And if you only want to do X, nothing wrong with that. You just have to decide that and you can't get distracted when somebody says, hey, do you mind if you mind if you come over here and do Y for me? Or do you, you know, can you do this for me? No, if you want to do one application or one type of system or one type of product, then you need to dive in 100%, learn it as well as you can, continue learning it every single day and get so good at it that whenever anybody says, do you know, do you know anybody that does X, that your name always comes up. So I see a lot of people new in the industry, you know, they start out and they're, well, they're doing, a, they're doing their buddy's garage floor or they're doing somebody's basement or then they do a small commercial space and they're doing a coating over here, they're doing staining over there, they're doing you know, something else over here, and they're not really focused on anything that could make them successful because when when the, the project comes up, they're not the first person that somebody thinks of because they're 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 offering mishmash all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. So that's the first thing. The other thing I would say, if, if I'm an, a newcomer into the industry and I'm getting into especially demanding uh, applications, by that I mean uh, industrial plants, uh, production plants, food and beverage plants, then you definitely want to make sure that you focus on the end result, the end expectation. And I don't mean when the, the day you finish that project, I mean two years later. So if you're going in to see a customer, a potential customer, and they have a project to be done, don't start asking what color do you want it. Start asking them, all right, two years later, what are you going to be doing here? Are you going to run forklifts on it, foot traffic, pallet jacks? Are you going to drop chemicals on it? Are you going to have hot water steam cleaning in here? What are you going to do and what do you expect it to hold up to? Because if you start there, you can back down the line into what you would recommend for them at the very beginning. But I think a lot of times it's, uh, and I see this sometimes with architects where they say, well, I want this product, right? Because they're familiar with ABC product. So they, they specify ABC, and then when you, when you dig into it, you find out that, well, wait a minute, ABC is not going to work for what the customer wants to do in that space. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, uh, newcomers that I've seen make that mistake. They recommend something, they suggest something, they quote something because either someone else told them to do it and they, they didn't even dig into the end use or because that's what they're familiar with and they don't know, know enough to dig into the final use of, the, of their application. And when they do that, they become unsuccessful because now they got failure. And you don't want to be known for that, for sure. Definitely. I think this is really valuable insight. Ron, before we sign off, for anyone listening that wants to get more information from you or your company, perhaps it's somebody who wants to learn about ConCare because they're interested in having your services, how can people access more information from you guys, be it social media, a website, email, basically use this as your chance to plug anything that you think an interested listener might uh, could use to potentially get started? Well, the easiest way, of course, is to go to concare.com. Um, we have a contact locate, you know, place right there that you can you can uh, reach out by email or you can get our phone number, 708-681-8800. Uh, that's another way to reach us. But in any event, those are just the simplest ways to do it. Yep. And before I forget, where are you guys based out of? We're in Melrose Park, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. That's what I thought. All right, Ron, thank you so much. Again, that is Ron Puzinski, president and co-founder of ConCare, longtime reader and very relevant company to our Codings for audience. We've featured them a number of times over the 20 years of Codings for Magazine, and we definitely will in the future as well because they're doing some great work. Anyway, that's where we will leave things for today's show. And if you want more information as far as what we're doing at the magazine, of course, you can check out codingspromag.com for all sorts of news related to protective coatings. With that, we will adjourn. For Ron Puzinski, I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks as always for listening, and please come back soon for another new podcast from the Codings Pro interview series. This message comes to you from Codings Pro Magazine, the official media publication for Codings Plus. Join us for this exciting final year of Codings Plus, happening from December 13 to 16, 2021. Codings Plus is a jam-packed event with expert-led protective, marine, and industrial coatings programming, as well as technical sessions and workshops focused on surface preparation, application, coating formulation, testing, inspection, and green coating solutions. 
Visit sspc.org slash codings 2021 for more information. We can't wait to see you there.